You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking rates and lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, everyone. This is Rico Mohammed coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, for the Rates and Lanes podcast. This week, we're going to have special guests on with us, Mr. George Hicks. George is a good, close friend of ours. We uh, share a lot of information back and forth, and tonight we want to talk about some of the aspects of a uh, making a direct customer call, you know, how to identify a direct customer, so on and so forth. So if you have any questions about that, we're going to get into that in just a few minutes. And also, we're going to start the show out in our normal format, and we're going to talk about a little bit of the rates and lanes that have been going on for the past week. And we'll start off with the USDA Agricultural Report for the truck rate report for this week. And um, bad news to report all the way across the board. Uh, it's only one market, Vidalia uh, District of Georgia, that's showing a slight shortage of capacity for uh, fruits and vegetables. Everything else, every other market in the United States is showing it's at an adequate supply, and there are two markets that are showing a surplus, which is uh, Mexico crossing through Texas, which is like the McAllen, Brownsville area, and um, the Mexico crossing through Nogales sh- is showing a surplus. So that probably means that most brokers in those areas are basically wanting you to pay them to move the freight, for lack of a better term. So that is uh, the bad news from the uh, truck rate report, the fruit and vegetable truck rate report from the USDA. And jumping over to DAT's trend lines for the week, um, once again, the spot market continues its seasonal slump is the headlines. Um, seasonal slump in demand and rates is typical from early July through mid-August, which if you've been trucking for any time, you, you should uh, kind of already know this. Uh, last week's average rate slipped another $0.03 cents per mile for vans, $0.04 cents for reefers, and three-tenths for flatbeds compared to the previous week. So that is the synopsis of what has been going on in generally for the entire segment of whether it's vans, flatbeds, or reefers, even though vans, I mean, no, excuse me, not vans, but flatbeds still show really good, uh, strong demand as far as um, the capacity goes, not the capacity, the, the, the freight availability. Uh, capacity is still at a little bit of a crunch for uh, flatbeds. But we'll get into it in just a second. I'm going to go into each segment. The DAT trend lines for the van segment says that load availability slipped 5.4%. Truck load capacity increased 3.5% last week, yielding an 8.6 average decline in the national average load to truck ratio for vans. The ratio slipped from 2.9 loads per truck to 2.7, which is still relatively high for the season. Um, like I said, with dry vans, anywhere you're in a market that's usually a, a, above a three, which 2.7 is pretty close to a three, it's pretty, it's still pretty strong for that area. Your rates may slip a little bit, but this goes back into the other topic which I covered on my blog from last week, and also what we talked about a little bit last week about making sure that you are intimately familiar with your numbers. It's during, during times like this right now when things start to get tight, 
if you know your numbers correctly, uh, I know that everybody's kind of gotten spoiled by being able to get to really, really high rates, but now is the time to be tightening your belt, running a tight ship, and if you do that, who cares if you want to get $2.50 a mile if you can, if if you know your costs and everything, and if you know that you can be profitable at two dollars and nine cents a mile, in, in the in, in the brokers are somewhere in that ballpark, and if you can get them up to at least your number to be profitable, by all means, go ahead and and, and stay profitable, stay moving, keep you know what I'm saying there's still good uh, freight and rates to be had out here. Uh, jumping over into the U.S. flatbed segment. For the week of July 20th through the 26th, flatbed load availability slipped 3.2% last week, and truck load capacity added 7.8%. The resulting load-to-truck ratio declined 10% from 35.5 to 31.9 loads per truck, which is still a favorable ratio for carriers. I mean, it's flatbed, step decks, you guys should be still knocking it out of the park right now. Um for reefer demand, the uh, week of July 20th through the 26th, load availability edged down 1.7% for reefers last week. Truck load capacity increased only 1.3%. The resulting load to truck ratio declined 2.9% from 8.1 to 7.9 loads per truck, still a moderate level for this season. And jumping over into the rate segment for those particular for for dry van, the van rates dropped another three cents as a national average last week, but remained strong at two dollars and seven cents per mile. Rates held steady in Philadelphia last week, and rates rose in Houston, but declined in most other major markets, including Atlanta, Columbus, Denver, and Los Angeles. A breakdown for the rates across the country in the Northeast region is showing an average of a dollar seventy nine cents per mile for a dry van. In the uh, southeastern region of the country, it's showing a two dollars and twenty cents rate per mile on average. In the uh, Midwest, it's showing a two dollars and thirteen cents. In the South Central region, it's showing two dollars and four cents a mile. And out west, it is showing $2.39 on average for drive-ins. Moving over into the flatbed segment for rates, flatbeds race, flat, if I can talk tonight, <laughs> flatbed rates lost $0.03 cents per mile last week, yielding a national average of $2.44. Flatbed equipment continues to be in high demand, and rates remain strong. Running up into the northeastern part of the country, rates are showing for flatbeds on average three dollars and fifty-eight cents per mile. In the southeast, two dollars and seventy-seven cents per mile. In the Midwest, three fifteen per mile. South Central, three dollars and ten cents per mile. And out west, showing an average of two dollars and thirty-five cents per mile on flatbed rates. In the U.S. reefer rates for the country is showing that reefer rates continued their seasonal slide last week, dropping $0.04 cents to $2.40 per mile. National average rates typically peak in June for reefers on the spot market. So in starting out once again up in the northeastern region of the United States, showing a $2.28 rate per mile average in the southeast 
region of the country is showing a dollar and seventy three cents per mile. That is paltry for reefer rates on average. And uh in the Midwest it's showing two dollars and seventy two cents per mile on average. Coming in the south uh in the south central region of the country, a dollar eighty five cents per mile. And out west showing two dollars and forty six cents per mile on average for reefer rates. So that's a quick wrap-up of um, all of the uh, some of the reports from DAT and also the USDA truck market report. So jumping over and bringing on my good friend, George, let's see if we can get him on here. Good evening, George. Are you there? Yeah, good evening. How are you? I am well. I am well. So, George, you got anything to say about that opening there? Uh, well, you're bringing up all these numbers and, and infor, information on brokers, which, like I said, that's less than 1% of my business, so I, I need to listen, but my, my eyes start to glaze over. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but it's interesting. Uh, you know, you and I have talked. Uh, my wife has a, a background in transportation also, having been in LTL sales. Um, that's actually how we met when I was a traffic manager. But, you know, I think one thing we should look to talk about, you know, at some point in the future is, you know, the trend lines not just of, you know, as you bring it up of, but of the slow times, the strong times, the, the, what is the best time to run? I've got a friend of mine, he runs between Pennsylvania and, and the West Coast, and purposely he does not like to run, one is because of the weather, and also it's slow from January, February into March. He purposely doesn't plan to go out there, just to be exposed to the elements, but there are those slow times that things happen. Here it is summertime and, you know, with my time in uh, LTL sales, we always saw, you know, after the 4th of July, within a couple of weeks, things would slow down. The families were starting to take the vacations. People were shutting down plants to, you know, especially automotive. They're retooling plants to bring on the new production years. Uh, there's just a lot of factors and summer will get slow. You know, but that's something for another time. But, you know, you're you're just kind of nailing on, on so many of these things that are, is just, it's information, and information is valuable for us, whether it's your own information directly, as you said, knowing your numbers and knowing what the market is. Exactly. And and one of the things that I wanted to go over tonight, too, um, which is the reason we won't, definitely want to have you on, with your sales experience and stuff like that, we wanted to try to make it um, for for our listeners and people out there. We wanted to try to break down the anatomy of a sales call and kind of get people, uh, you know, maybe getting them a little bit more comfortable with actually going in and, and uh, having the information and equipping them to make a sales call, what to look for, and those type of things. So, so you want to start us out on on maybe how we can identify potential leads or potential uh, customers. You know, I really think the best way to identify and and find that potential customer is look right around you. And that's going to be look to your family, look to your friends, look to other people. I mean, if you know, if I had a situation coming to Atlanta, I'd probably want to pick your mind. Hey, Rico, what do you think? Um, a great deal of freight with direct shippers is going to come from relationships and getting to know people. And a lot of times you get to know people by referrals. Referrals are going to be your best bet. Um, but, you know, ultimately sometimes it's going to start with, you know, what's called the cold call. And, and we had um, 
a conference call the other night for the Motor Carrier Meetup page, and um, I'm going to compliment and, and commend Jimmy Norris out of Chicago. He's new with his authority, doing LTL reefer operation out of Chicago. But he talked about, uh, you know, his first step with trying to make a sales call is just getting information. Don't go in and try to think you're going to negotiate everything. And I'll be honest with you, exactly what he suggested was not what I did today. I was referred to a in the CM, kind of caught the guy off guard. It sales call didn't go well. And ultimately what happened in the 15 minutes was, I was there, it started with talking about price. And that's the last thing I want to talk about. Now, you know, that customer might be a little further down on my list to target, but you know, just get the information and, and you know, get through business cards, send them email, and, and start building from there. But I, as I said, look to, look to your friends, your neighbors, people around you. Everyone has something to do with transportation somehow, some way, somewhere. Cool. Um, and just a reminder to everyone on the line, the show format is going to be a little bit different tonight. Of course, we're going to start out with the Rates and Lanes podcast, and we're going to be wrapping up a little bit before 8. Kevin Rutherford is going to be coming on and recording his show. So, But if you have a question or anything, by all means, press number one that puts you in the queue, and we'll start uh, getting to you and screening those along. Um, so, all right, George, so tell us how, when you, when you first walk into a door and say, if you, if you're making a cold call, just kind of walk us through, um, what, sh what should we, what should we be doing? What should we know going in? Uh, you know, if we're going to go make that call, what should we know before we get there? You know, one of the first things is going to be, and especially with today's technology and, you know, Google them, find out who they are. Um, we all have, whether we have smartphones or we have computers, find out what the company is and what they do. You just don't want to go through a, a, you know, a business complex and call on every single person, although you want to, but that might not be business that you want. Um, I've been very fortunate to, to know the Rochester, New York market for as long as I do have, but there's some business I want and some I don't. I'm trying to target more of a, a niche market, the unique side. Um, but if you Google them and find their website, you can pretty much find out, huh, they've got something I can do or they have something I can't do. Um, and then, you know, and I'll, I'll go back to what Chuck Snow talked about two weeks ago was literally look the part, be the image. Be, it, it starts right there. Um, you're going to walk in. You're probably going to go in the front door to the receptionist and, you know, the receptionist, as I like to refer to, is, uh, is the gatekeeper. He, she, whatever, will make or break you whether you're going to get any further or not. Turning on the charm there will help you more than you will ever know. So should we make appointments when trying to call on customers or is, or is it better just to walk in cold off the street? Uh I think that varies. Uh, appointments, I think, are the best, but whether it be on email or on phones, a lot of people can hide behind that and, and not see you. There's nothing wrong with the cold call of just walking in. But, but as you know, I mentioned earlier, the cold call is just a matter of trying to get information. They'll probably say to you, oh, that person only takes appointments. Well, can I get their business card? Can I follow up? And then you follow up. Um, or you say, well, I'm in the area, do they have a moment? Does Sue have a moment? Well, let me check. Well, if you don't ask, they're not going to see you. If you do, 
you got a 50-50 chance they might. It might just be that day that they have just had, you know, one of the terrible experiences of freight, and they're looking for a solution. That's what we are. We're, we're, we're in a service industry, and we're providing solutions. Absolutely. Well, George, we got a couple of people that are lined up that uh, have questions. I'm not sure if our screener is online tonight. It doesn't look that way. So uh, we're just going to jump into a call real quick, um, take some questions. We got – I'm sorry? No, let, let's do it. I mean, it's how you said early before the call started, I, I assume we're probably over 100 people on the call. Let's try to help some people out. Let's make some friends, and let's move forward. Sure thing. Well, we got a caller from the area code 716. Caller, you're on with George and Rico. What's your name, and how can we help? Uh, well, I had thought this was something else, but I just kind of listened in and on anyway. Uh, kind of had a hot question for Hot Shots, and it's more of a, a what-if question if that $4 million uh, thing affected Hot Shots stuff. So, I'm sorry, can you say that again? I, my, uh, my, my question was more related to, uh, I thought this was a, a Kevin Rutherford kind of thing, so I was just going to kind of chill and listen and hit one by accident. So. <laughs> well, All right, well, no, let, let, I, Rico, hang on, keep, keep him on there. I, I think what you're asking is, are the trend lines that Rico talked about, do they impact the... the um, the hot no, that's, that's not quite what I was going for. It was the 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 proposed four million dollars in insurance minimums. If that would affect hot shot stuff as it would the big truck stuff, I think it would. That I think it, it, okay. if if your hot shot is if your hot shot is running a uh, MC number, I think it's I think you're going to fall under that same office. Do you, do you have to have yeah, I think a lot of hot shots are in court at this night. <laughs> All right. Well. I, I think I, I think I think that's the purpose of. It. I think that that's kind of the purpose of them uh, putting that. You know, trying to get that rule passed. I think it, that that's exactly the purpose: either put you out of business or to make you to force the small guys to lease on. That's but that's my opinion on that. But I I think that that's kind of where that that whole idea was birthed from. Well, y'all have yourself a great day. All right. Well, thanks for the call. Thank you. All right. Let's try a uh, caller from the 901 area code. All right, caller, you're on with George and Rico. How can we help? Hello, caller. Okay. We're going to try one more, George, and then we'll just jump back into... Uh, let's see. Caller from the seven two zero. Caller, you on with George and Rico? How can we help? Hello, caller. Calling in from seven two zero area code. All right, we're, we're swinging and missing here, George. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what's up. Well, the, the gentleman from seven one six. He's my stomping grounds. Next area code over in Buffalo. Okay. Well, we got one more. Let's see. Let's try area code nine one three. Calling you. Calling in from nine one three. You're on with George and Rico. How can we help? Hey, fellas. How's it going? Good. And yourself? Very good. Thank you. 
Doing all right. What, what, what was Patrick. your name? Patrick. All right, Patrick. Yeah, I uh, just want to kind of uh, go over some rates and stuff that I've been seeing lately and, uh, you know, some a little bit of volatility in the market uh, in the areas that I, I typically run are the Midwest and the Illinois, Indiana, Missouri, Iowa area. And, uh, you know, it's funny that one day to the next can be a completely different ball game. Um, the Lexington area, for example, on Monday was uh, was was pretty dead. Uh, there was a lot of freight, but the freight rates weren't weren't very good. Made a lot of calls and ended up running a couple of short loads. One going down to Tennessee and then back right back up to the Lexington area. And Tuesday it was like it was a completely different story. I actually had a load book by 7 a.m. and uh, got calls for another two or three hours. Uh, on other loads um, that were in the area where they had seen my truck posted, um, but just just want to know you guys' opinion on that. Is that something that you that you typically see? Um, you, you know, what what days do you see the of the week, or is it days of the week or times of the month that you see? Um, you know, what what I've typically seen is is on Mondays. You know, freight uh, rates to be you know a little weaker than on days like Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday where People are trying to position themselves for, uh, you know, Friday for a weekend run or something like that. I see stronger rates on Fridays or, or, or stronger rates on uh, Thursdays than I do Fridays. And uh, and Tuesday and Wednesday seem to be pretty good days as well. Patrick, what type of trailer do you have? I have a 53-foot drive-in swing door. Drive-in, okay. So to answer your question as far as, uh, you know, um, during the week, it really depends on the, the rates and everything is solely dictated by the market. I mean, it, it really is. Um, this is this might be the last one of the few last bastions of the of the free economy. Um, you know, the, the supply and demand is really going to dictate the rates as far as the spot market goes. So, so if you happen to be in a really hot area. Then you, you're in demand, you know. So, so you're going to see better rates. But the the problem that happens a lot of times is people are not really don't have the information to know exactly how strong the market is at one particular time or not. And the, and that ends and they end up settling, in my opinion, far too often they end up settling for less money than what they could have gotten. But if you really know your numbers, like I was saying in the open, it really doesn't matter if you left money on the table or not. As long as you got enough money for you to be profitable, you know that—that's kind of the answer to don't take cheap freight. You know that what you know what's cheap freight. That's kind of the answer to it. If you're taking freight that's really not profitable, if you're losing money, then that's cheap freight, and and that's something that you don't want to you know you want to try to avoid as much as possible. But if you're still able to turn a profit. That's what this, that's what the free market is all about. That's what you know being in business is all about. You know, and, and running your business. But too often, too people, too many people just don't understand or don't realize um, what their numbers and where they need to be, and that's where they end up getting themselves into trouble, and people are are, are hurting behind that. Yeah, I, I can Jordan. agree with that. Uh-huh. But well, I think what. Uh, one thing I, I I posted a few times, and and it's a, a very very old rule to go by, 
Uh, I remember being in high school, not understanding it, but you know, as you go on, you understand it more. Uh, the simple rules of supply and demand. I think, Patrick, what you're getting at is, I think any Monday you're going to have a saturation of empty trucks because many trucks, whether they run over the weekend, uh, you know, you're not going to deliver on Saturday and Sunday, so a great deal of volume is going to get unloaded Monday morning, Monday late morning, or early afternoon, and just by that. You know, whether it be brokers, customers, everyone, there there's just a lot of supply on a Monday, and these guys are all going to grab whatever they can. What well, not whatever, but they're going to grab something. They're going to go, and the supply on Tuesday is going to be much less. So I, I think what you're saying, yeah, I, I my feeling is that will be the case. Is that Monday will be a lighter day? Well, we talked we talked last week a little bit about uh, some LTL uh, stuff. I called in and spoke with you guys about some LTL stuff and trying to get into that a little bit. I think what I, what I try and do, uh, and, and I'm relatively new to all this, but uh, I've been in trucking now for 12 years, but, you know, having my authority is something that's relatively new to me. But uh, what I'm trying to do more every day is diversify my operation. And, you know, I, I find that, you know, it's uh, not always the uh, long runs that get the money. Um, you know, a lot of Monday I, I ran two lows in one day, and, they were both short, but I ended up making more than I, I ran 400 miles, but I ended up making more money than I've got offered on a seven or 800 mile run. So, um, you know, you guys gave me some great ideas about, uh, the LTL stuff and that's something I'm still looking into and I'm actually looking into, you know, uh, getting into Canada and doing some of that kind of freight. Um, the area that I'm based out of the Joplin, Missouri area, there's a ton of freight out of there going to Canada with some great lakes um, that I don't know a lot about, and uh, so I'll definitely have to do my research before I, because what may sound great right now when you go up there might not be so great. So, uh, yeah, I'm just uh, learning day by day, and I uh, appreciate what you guys do, and uh, I'll uh, keep checking in with you and keep listening. Hey, we appreciate yeah, the call. Quick, quick question, Patrick. Um, sure. What did you do prior to getting your own authority? Did you work for a large carrier or yeah, or an LCL? Lar- I was leased to a large carrier. Uh, well, semi-large. We had about 400 trucks. Okay. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, Rico came out of the LTL market, and and you know that's that was my sales background and. You know, I, anybody, there was a gentleman that called into Kevin's show a few months ago, maybe four or five months ago, looking to get into it, but he was an LTL driver, but I believe he was a teamster, you know, and he was just tired of all of that game. You know, if he spent three months putting his plan together, he has three months of building sales leads. Uh, you know, if you're in front of the customer, that's, you know, that's what I'm kind of, I guess, getting sure if you understand. You know, I mean, Joplin yeah. and the other thing, and I learned this from my background, you know, having grown up in the animal world where we, we lose all animals all over the country, and this was going back, well, to my teens and early 20s, 20-plus years ago. But those people that were in the Midwest, that Missouri area, they were within two days of anywhere in the country. You're in, like, a golden area to get anywhere in a timely manner. Rochester, New York, well, you know, I can be a lot of places in two days, but half the country I can't be. I got you. Right. Uh, you know, you're you're right. It is a it is a golden area. You know, we uh, I have one uh, I have one detriment about 50 miles south of me in uh, little little town. 
Yeah, you know, you might you might know the people that I'm talking about, Mr. J.B. Hunt. He's uh, has to be about 50 miles south of me. Uh-oh, Patrick, looks like your phone is breaking up really bad on us. We're not able to make you out. Um, let's see here. Got Brandon here has a question about wants to know the meaning of the term spot market. Hey, Brandon, are you there? Yep. All right. Spot market is just what it sounds like. It's, it's a uh, quote right there on the spot, right there in this moment in time. Um, that is what okay. the spot. That's what spot market means. Contract. Usually you hear the term spot marketing, you hear the uh, word contract rate. You know, contract rates are are more of a negotiated uh, rate over a period of time, and, and spot market rates are the rates that are um, kind of a, a real-time snapshot of what's going on at that particular moment in the market. Okay. All right. I, so that, that, that's really all I guys, wanted to know. Okay. <laughs> all right, well, we... Pre- well, we appreciate the phone. We thank, appreciate the support. Thank you for listening. Thank you. I'll keep listening. All right. So let me ask you this, George. Um, when you're, say, like if you're prospecting, and, um, you know, us smaller guys, we we don't need to be shooting for the biggest fish in the pond. You know what I'm saying? We don't need to be shooting for the, 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 the biggest shipper that's out there because we probably have no chance, no shot of being able to service those guys or, or you know, not saying that you can't, but you know the 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 odds are more than likely are not in your favor. Are there? Oh, a- a- absolutely, are- and you know, and and I hope Patrick can still hear and listen. Uh, you know, he has a fifty-three foot you know swing door dry van. I assume he has either logistics posts or e-track. If he doesn't get some in there, but he needs to invest in a dozen straps. You know, pick up you know a dozen furniture pads find a place to store them, you know, put them up high or whatever. But it, that just makes it more marketable. But but as um, he was saying, you know, he has J.B. Hunt close by, but you look at that Joplin area, Prime, you got Trans Am's going to be in Kansas City, um, you know, J.B. Hunt is in that area. Those, as I said before, those are not the people we want to go after. Um, there's right. too many small businesses out there that will – will cater and much more accept and appreciate your value that you bring to them. If they call J.B. Hunt for two loads a year, they're not going to bat an eye. You know, and it's they're just... They're not you know, it, Yeah, you know, you, and not saying you can't get a chance when they're in a bind to go, um, to go after that unique side uh, or, or the big... Let me back up. To go after the big carrier... They're going to have a unique niche move. They're going to have a hot move, but they're going to be few and far between. And by the time they get to the little guy, they, they've exhausted all options. And you know, but it's not going to happen that much. So let me ask you this, George: On average, like some of your customers that you service right now, um, from what I understand, there, there are other small businesses just like just like you are. They they have employees, yes. but general, generally they don't. Uh, with, if, if you try, if you had to categorize them and put them in a box and say, how many employees do they have? Um, is, is that a good indication to kind of figure out whether or not this is a type of a prospect that you should go after? Does the, the, is the, empl- the amount of employees a really good indicator to, uh, to, to kind of uh, really start doing some research on that particular company? That's, 
That's great. I, you know, it makes me think because I thought about the two customers I was with today. Uh, one is a new prospect. Um, the other I've been dealing with, uh, working with for over a year. Um, easily, I can say, tops 20, maybe 30 employees. Um, there, I have some cust- you know, customers that have much more, but I'm, I'm going to say comfortably less than, uh, I'll say an average, less than 25 employees. And I get to the point, you know, they don't say, you know, who's handling this. You know, they're not saying, oh, call Blue Hair and Logistics, which I want them to. They're saying George is coming in. I, I become, you know, when you deal with the smaller com- customers like that, you become a partner with them. You become part of them. And that, exactly. that's where the value and the gold comes together. Exactly. Um, so, so, so we could use the amount of employees as an indicator. Um, and some other things, tips that I, that I um, came across over the years as far as, um, you know, you can, if, if you know where to look, you can start to kind of use the amount of revenue that they, that they produce on a, um, on a yearly basis to, to kind of qualify them as well. Um, we got another question coming in from James. We're going to jump over to him real quick. James, you're on with George and Rico. How can we help? Yeah, I just want to know, uh, you give the uh, the DAC report every week. Yes, sir. You call it how many trucks are in that area and how many loads of trucks. Where do they get that information from? Well, DAT is... It, it, it comes from the, the information that I give out comes from DAT. DAT is the largest uh, um, load board service company in the United States. Um, they they pretty much all of their information. Whenever you go on a truck stop or something like that, and you see the little load boards in the truck stop, that's all yeah. that's all ran by that, that's all ran by DAT. And they they oh, have some really they, they have some really great products, and the, and the information is, is from from my experience has been really accurate. All right. So they go and buy what they uh, the loads on their board. Um. Yes, but they own several different companies. They own like um, they own Get Loaded uh, and, and and a couple of other smaller load boards. So they they really have some really uh, like I said, their information is pretty much top notch. Uh, I've compared DAT with other load boards and, and for me and for my money I, I kinda I'm kinda partial to DAT because the information is so good. All right. All right. I got another question for you. I know y'all probably get this question a lot. And I'm stuck on uh you know, I want to get my own truck, you know, and uh thinking about my authority or thinking about going listening to somebody like Manstar. What's a what's a safe amount of money that I would want to start out with after I pay a down payment on a truck? Just to have Seth back and get started. I mean, what's the idea? Um, a great number. Um, I think maybe before you go, before you start talking about a number, I think maybe you might want to take a step back and. Evaluate exactly what all your costs are, so that so that you know what I'm saying, and let your costs kind of determine where you need to be. Because you kind of need to know, you know, you need to have a budget as far as your household goods and everything is concerned. So you need to kind of have a, a, a budget set aside to say, okay, um, if if something happens, do I have six months of reserve to um, you know to get back on my feet on an emergency fund, so to speak? 
Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of times, arbitrarily, people throw out the ten thousand dollar number. Uh, but if you, but if you, if you have a line of credit or, or at least an emergency fund, so that you can, um, you know, worst case scenario, if you got about ten to twelve thousand dollars after you got all of your stuff taken care of, as far as getting your authority, getting your equipment, and so on and so forth, you can pretty much, uh, unless you're dealing with some of the newer trucks. Uh, but if you're dealing with the older uh, non-EGR uh, truck, you pretty much can tackle anything with with that with that kind of money in the reserves and get back up and running if if that's what your main concern is. Yeah, and I'm uh, I mean I I kind of figured out the cost of uh, what I think I'll be running that. I really ain't gonna know until I have to get out there and start running or whatever. But I got well, to you can you can you can you can start you can start doing a lot of homework now. Don't don't just don't wait. I think that's sometimes I think that's a, a, a critical mistake that a lot of people make is that they think that they just have to wait until they actually get out there and start running. You can actually yeah. start doing a lot of a lot of the homework now. You, if you know what kind of yeah. stuff you're looking at or whatever, you you can begin calling the insurance companies now, getting quotes on what the rates are going to be for the insurance. Um, you can you can so so that that gives you a part of it. And then like if you got some friends or something like that 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 may uh, be willing to help you with some of their information, you can kind of maybe base some of your information, say, hey, man, uh, you know, last year, do you know how much you spent on fuel? Uh, do, you, do, do you know do you know how much you spent on it? And you can figure out, you know, how much the tires cost, so on and so forth. You want to start to try and gather as much of that information as you possibly can and, and kind of break that thing down so that you can kind of really get a, a, a good um, ballpark figure as far as a fixed cost and a variable cost is concerned. So, so you know, I wouldn't wait until I got started and, and, and trying to get all those numbers together. I would try to get as much of that information together as I possibly could before uh, before I got my authority or, or before I even bought a truck, for that matter. Yeah. Well, I got to say, you know, I, I, ain't, I ain't perfect, but in my mind, I, I'm, I'm wanting uh, average 241 a mile with everything, salary and everything. Is that a reasonable number? I know that's more than what type of equipment? I want to start off with, you know, an older truck, 2003 model. No, no, no. What, uh, what type of trailer? What type of, what type of trailer are you talking okay. about? Oh, uh, step deck. Step deck. I think, yes. I think about and, you know, I've done, i got experience with both of them. And, uh, uh, that, you, know, that you probably you probably could be somewhere in that ballpark. But once again, you know, uh, if you, if you're looking at Landstar, Landstar is really great about giving out information about about their uh, you know their contractors or whatever. They're, they'll give you settlement reports and and you know and you can start the process of talking with them. Uh, Mercer is another great company as far as step decks go, from what I understand. So you know those those are two uh, two companies that you might want to look into or, or talk to some drivers that are that are pulling for those companies and just get you know like I said start just doing your homework process now. Yeah, like what's uh, Landstar is it really worth the twenty five percent they don't be getting to start out? I mean, just to get going. Well, right. I never pull for Landstar. I never pull for Landstar. So I think I think you need you definitely need to speak to someone that that you know. Yeah. There's going to be good and bad everywhere. So I think you need to speak speak to someone that, that you know, and I think Landstar has a group on Facebook if you're on Facebook. Um, I think they have a group on Facebook, and they, they should be. Uh, I, most of the guys at Landstar are really helpful. 
Uh, one person that I know of that's at Landstar that, that, that is uh, part of the mentor team here at Let's Truck is Jackie Warmly. Uh, she, she's uh, always accommodating when, when uh, if you have a question or something like that. Even though for hot operations she does things a little bit differently than, than a lot of people over there, but I'm pretty sure that she can help point you in the right direction or, or get you in contact with someone else that can. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Hey, hey, James, James one th two things I want to suggest here. You know, one is, you know, um, whatever part of town you're in or, or when you're out driving around now and you pull in a truck stop and you, you see somebody that's set up with a step deck, if Landstar is your direction of what you want, go and talk to them. You should yeah. be able to quickly decipher if they know what they're talking about or if they're not because not everyone does. But yeah. also, one thing I want to strongly suggest, and it doesn't have to be full-blown formal, get, grab a notepad, write down a business plan, write an idea and a dream of what you want your business to be. And, yeah. you know, my business plan started literally, you know, with my mother-in-law at the dining room table. Okay, no, nope, you got to write this down. Who are, who are customers you want to do? You know, for you, if you want to lease to somebody, okay, I want to look at Mercer, I want to look at Landstar. Then it's a lot of work to pick that ball apart and and figure out what you want you know finding the right truck i mean i i'm doing you know two years ago next month will be when i picked up you know my fifteen thousand dollar truck that is treating me very well but i also know in a two-year plan i do want to replace that yeah i don't know with what uh, maybe i won't the thing's running too too darn good but that truck you know has billed out well over two hundred thousand dollars in gross revenue you know, there is right. good business out here, but you've got to have a plan and do everything you can to make sure your home life, your, your, your budget at home, um, be, be in, be in good shape, you know, yeah. and, and, and financially one more thing, and everything. One more thing, James, I think that a, a great resource for you is definitely go to the, uh, go to the less truck, um, uh, store and, and get Kevin's book. Uh, when I started out, I, Kevin he didn't have a book at that time. Kevin was doing he, he did a couple of DVDs, which are part of which is a part of his book now. And I bought those DVDs, um, and, and I used those to help me begin the process of beginning my business, starting my business. And those DVDs, the, the information and and and, and uh, the tips that Kevin gave out on those DVDs are invaluable. Listening to Kevin Rutherford show every night. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to sound like a Kool-Aid sister over here just thinking about, you know, uh, <laughs> we bowing down at, 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 at the altar of Kevin Rutherford, but, you know, you got to give the man his just due. There's no one out there that, that, that's out there right now that's giving out the information that, that Kevin Rutherford's giving out that, that's helping more owner-operators be more successful in their business. Um, and, and, you know, and I'm forever grateful for what, you know, the information that Kevin Rutherford gave me to help me start me on my journey. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought so. I was listening to his show. Uh, yeah, he got a lot of good information. I mean, every, every time I do go, uh, you know, y'all pretty pretty about what y'all, the information y'all are giving out. A lot of these people out here, they don't want to give that information out. That's the problem I run into every time I go to try to talk to somebody. You can tell they're just straight up lying, or they don't want to share that information. Well, well, well you know, I'm going to say they, if, they, if you're on Facebook, they might be. Okay, go, go, wait, George. No, okay, so some may be straight up lying. Some may not want to share. Some may not 
these flat and honest don't know. Uh, you know, um, you know, and there's a way of being open to discuss and, and ask somebody information. You know, don't walk into somebody and say, so, what did you make last year? Yeah. And that's not, you know, I mean, my, my business model is different from others. My goal is with my business, I only want to do sixty to 80,000 miles a year. If I can run my dream world, I want to run 50,000 miles a year. I want to target doing, you know, 200 miles, 300 miles a day between Monday and Friday, home every night, and make great money. But then again, what is what is great money? Uh, you know, I, I shared with some friends my numbers when I finished out my year one last year. My net income was very close, if not more, than many doing twice the miles that I did, and I didn't break 60,000 miles last year. Yeah. Yeah. And that All is, right. And that is as far as, you know, getting good information out there, that's one of the reasons why we're trying to do this show. Uh, James, we, we we definitely we're big believers in the rising tide will lift all boats, and the more information that 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 I feel that my fellow my fellow truckers have to to make their business more successful and and get them more informed uh, uh, about rates and lanes and and finding out on how to get better money and stuff like that, then then I think that the whole industry will benefit from that because. Like you said, there's no, there was no one before we started doing this podcast and talking about rates and lanes, and even on the Facebook groups, uh, you know, with the Rate for Mile Masters, the Motor Carrier Meetup, so on and so forth. I mean, this this is kind of like been, you know, the the mythical unicorn out there. You know, you, you get the guys at the lunch counter that's talking about you got thirty bucks a mile, and, and you're like, really? Come on, and, you know. And not to say that that, that thirty bucks a mile is, is unrealistic on some things. But I mean, on every single load, I mean, you know, it's 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 ridiculous. But uh, you know, we're glad that you're out there listening. We're glad that, glad that you're getting something from it. Uh, you know, we just encourage you to keep listening and and uh, you know participate. And we appreciate all the support. Yeah, I appreciate y'all. Everybody else, they just they scared, I guess they're scared. They don't take their business. I'm just this one guy trying to learn right here, but uh, they don't want to share what names they're running on and uh. Well, the good thing about that, James, your, your your initial question was where you're getting the information from, and that, and that's that's yeah. a great question because the information yeah. is out there and the information is available. Uh, yeah. Whether or not you, someone is takes the time to really seek it out to go get it, that's a whole another story. But the information is available and it is out there and it and it, yeah. and it is accessible. Yeah, yeah that's what All I'm right. Make. I appreciate. It. Thank you, you're sir. Welcome. All right, George, uh, anything you want to say? we got another caller on the line that's got a question, but anything you want to say before we jump over to him? Uh, no, let's keep going because uh, time's a ticking. Let's get some more calls on here. All right, well, let's go over to Jim. Jim, how Hi, are you with George and Rico? Hey, Rico. Yeah, it's Jim Bauman calling again. And again, I saw you. I've been on your uh, Ray Messer's Facebook page. And yes, uh, I know you started. Yeah, I know you started that Crescent Carriers company. I was curious, hearing the uh, lower depressed reaper rates right now. I was thinking that could be a good thing for you. Like if you tell, if you, I don't, I don't know if you've got direct customers that you're getting loads for, you know, covered for. It seems like if you had a direct customer and the and the and, and you booked, say, hey, I'll move your freight for say three dollars a mile, and then all of a sudden the reaper rates fall. And you can get a move for less. Is is that a good thing for you, or is that a bad? I'm just curious how that all works. How how is your how is your 
And, you know, if, if it's too personal, being a company like that, I understand. But I was just sort of trying to see how, with your startup company, if, if you've got your own customers or if you're also just pulling from the load boards or what you're doing right now. Great question, Jim. Uh, no, I don't have a problem. I, I, I enjoy uh, full disclosure. Right now, I, I have a few direct customers, not, not nowhere nearly enough. Um, with consistency, but one of the things that, like George was just talking about, and, and it kind of leads us into another thing, when we're small, smaller guys like us, um, you know, one, two, three trucks, you know, even up to ten trucks, we really need to um, buckle down on what George said earlier as far as a niche. And, and a niche is a var- you know, various different things. A niche could be your equipment type. A niche could be that you are specialized in a, in a certain region or whatever. And I think that those are things that, you know, sometimes when people hear the word niche, they're like, well, what in the world is a niche? You know, it's something that you hear thrown out there a lot, but you don't really understand the nuances of what a niche is. And one of the things, like I say, as as smaller guys that we really need to concentrate on is developing that niche. So if you're going to be doing reefers, well, there are a ton of reefers out there, and so what you what what differently can you bring to the table as far as reefers? Well, you can specialize in in one specific lane, so you can really start to sit down and carve out a specific region or a specific lane that you really want to focus on, and you specialize in that lane. So now, if you have your cost and everything under control, you can do enough research to understand that even during the slow times, what does that lane move in? And if your numbers, if you can get your numbers to line up correctly to where you still can turn a profit, then you might be able to provide service, exceptional service in that particular lane. But, you know, we we're talking about, you know, a region or something like that. Or if you could just, you know, flood the market and say, okay, locally, you know, whatever different things that you can bring to the market that's going to provide value. Um, and you, you, you will be able to sustain yourself. But as far as the rates and everything go right now, as far as what I'm getting, um, I'm still able to get pretty much uh, middle of the road to the high end on the spot market rate when I'm dealing with broker loads uh, specifically um, because I, I have access to enough information to not, um, to not bite too quickly, if that is, you, you know what I'm saying? So, oh, Jim, are you there? Did we lose Jim? George, how about you? Are you still there? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Okay. Looks like we lost Jim. I hate that. Um, but, yeah, that, that's, you know, that niche thing, you know, sometimes people say, well, I get that question a lot. Well, what exactly is a niche? Maybe, maybe George, you could expound on that a little bit more. Yeah, I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that that is where – your best value will be and, and rates will be achieved, best rates, is, and it starts with doing what others won't do. Um, much of my business is, is, you know, has been built through relationships, but I'm targeting a great deal of freight that I listen to the three LTL companies I work for and the, every one of them had a brokerage. I'd come with them to a move, uh, come with them with an opportunity and the company would be like, oh, we don't want that. It's, it's worth over $100,000. Uh, it's unprotected. Oh, it needs a lift gate. Uh, oh, they want it strapped to the wall and they want blankets. I 
God bless the Walmart, the Targets, and all those. I don't want to go there and sit there waiting six hours to unload. You know, I, I got to my customer this morning to deliver um, down here in the southern tier of New York. Walk in. The controller's right there. She's my main point of contact. You know, I walk in the door. She goes, hey, George, gosh, you're early. I'm like, oh, Mindy, sorry. You know, we're have a great conversation, working on building more business. By the time I get to the trailer, the guys have everything unloaded. Now, it was just, you know, aluminum panels strapped to the wall, throw a couple blankets over it. But you know what? It works well for me. It works well for them. You can't create it. You can't package it. They appreciate, you know, and, and see the value. And, and that's where so much of this is bring the value and do the stuff that nobody else wants to do. Maybe we can. Maybe you can start with give me your hard move, but I, I don't believe in that. I don't think it's the hard move the problem. I think it's trying to do what others don't. Um, you know, it also goes back to two weeks ago when when Chuck was at, Snow was on a call and he said maybe your problem is you're pulling the wrong trailer. Um, I've got my Kentucky right. moving van uh, that has the lift gate on it. I don't have the weight capacity. I, I can you know if I were to scale it, I'm not going to get more than thirty five, thirty six thousand pounds of cargo in there, but that's fine. I don't want that. And then I've got my 48-foot uh, step deck. And then I've got a um, former boat trailer, which is kind of a double drop, if you want to call that. But, you know, coming in with a trailer that somebody can move something that's 11 and a half, 12 feet tall and still be a legal height load, that brings value to somebody. Absolutely. I'm looking for... Getting close to that time, I'm looking for Kevin to jump in here any second now. Um, let's go back to Jim. Jim got disconnected uh, early. He got back in. Hey, Jim, this is Rico and George. Uh, did, did you hear some of the response, or did you miss everything? Well, no, I think I heard more. Well, yeah, unfortunately, I, I forgot this I-29 above uh, Kansas City going up into Iowa is a terrible Verizon area, so I'm sorry. I, I should have thought about that before I called. But I heard. I did hear most of it. Hey, okay. Jim, what are you okay. doing now? We are we are right now a lease to Roadrunner. We own the truck and trailer. You know where I mean. I'll just throw it out there. We 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 only get a dollar. I mean, not only we get a dollar fifty six right now with fuel, which is low compared to what most of your listeners are. But on the other hand, we have zero empty miles and zero hassle. You know, we we they have a terminal in Charlotte where we. We're, we're, we wake up like last night at midnight, go get our loaded trailer, and now we're on our way to Seattle. We'll do a turn in Seattle, head back, you know, and have a couple of days at home. So it's, it's those, good in terms of L- no hassle. They're volume LTL loads, right? You have multi-stop? Yeah. So, so actually, since you're asking that, that, I was actually thinking, you know, maybe that would be some of their large – I mean, I would never try, try to, you know, obviously not compete with their – you know, I, I, would, I would never – I know you're not supposed to go – leave one company and then go get hold of their customers or anything like that. But I was thinking, you know what, for some of the larger orders, you know, where they're like four or five pallets, because there's a lot of East Coast, West Coast, fairly large LTL where it seemed like you could grab maybe four or five of those and get those all uh, in one day and then head back and probably do pretty well. So I was, I, I'm starting to think about that. <laughs> Okay. And, and work uh, on that, right? You know, if, if you're looking at going out, getting your own authority, you know, and I'll, I'll say also, Jim, think about it. You know, I, I'm going to throw it out now. You've got five weeks to plan. we got Memorial Day, no, Labor Day weekend coming up. 
think about it when you're out and about and you're there with your friends and your families, you're at parties, you're celebrating, you're enjoying a nice long weekend. Oh, I, I'll hope you're right. having that weekend. But talk to the people around you. You know, um, there was somebody on, oh, one of the pay, I think it might have been Kevin, Kevin Riley, you know, said he brought it up, I think, 4th of July Memorial Day, and the, you know, cousin's a, a watermelon farmer, and Kevin's got a reefer. Unfortunately, it was at the end of the run, but that's where. I mean, if you want to work to get your own authority, I can't stress enough that having your own customers is imperative, but it's hard. There's a lot of people that don't want to make the sales calls. They don't want to hear the word no. You will hear the word no a lot. No, you know, um, who, who said it just the other day? Um, it was on the call. No doesn't mean no. No means not now. Was that you, Rico? Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's, you know, and you've, not, got to, you've, got to, yeah, you've got to turn over a lot of rocks. You know? Uh, yeah, I, I, I know it's a number. Right. Uh-oh. All right. Hello? No. Yeah, did no, so, so that answer your question, Jim? Yeah, no, I'm happy. And I, and I know you're getting toward the end there, so I'll let you go, and I appreciate uh, the chance to get on again today. Yeah, Thank no, by, by all means, hang, hang, hang on the line, though, if you want to uh, get in with Kevin, because he's going to be coming up here shortly. I'm, I'm surprised he hadn't jumped in just yet. I'm, I'm looking for him. So um, we're going to try to get one more call in maybe real quick. Uh, let's go to Freddie. Freddie has a question. Yes, sir. Freddie, you're on with George, George and Rico. How can we help you? How y'all doing tonight? Oh, we will. Very good. Thank you. Can you hear me pretty good? Yes, sir. You coming in good and quick? Okay. Um, I'm a, I own my own truck. Uh, I've been out here since 07, but I'm just, uh, I, I deal with some companies, and I, I feel like I should be getting more than what, um, I'm actually getting, and I'm just trying to figure out. Um, I guess I'm struggling with some of these these companies I've been leased to, and I'm just at a point where I I, I want to jump on out there and just take the bulls by the horn. And, um, and I was wondering what kind of feedback you had. I'm, I'm, I stay right here in Charlotte, North Carolina, so I'm trying, I'm out. I'm just trying to build get some more knowledge and get some more um, information to, to really make the leap. But at the same time, I'm struggling finding a decent company to latch on to. Uh, my, my wife has studied some freight broking stuff um, or, or helping me find some loads um, because I've been in a position at Landstar, um, but I'm still just <clears throat> struggling, just trying to um, really feel appreciated and, and be in a position where I can um, have more control of my situation. Are you at Landstar now? Is that, that, that who you say you're with? No, I was, but I'm not. You were with Landstar, but not anymore. Yes. Yeah. Oh. I, I, was, I guess basically I was just saying that I, I, I have an understanding of using the low board because of my experiences at, at Landstar, but I'm, um, but I'm still struggling with trying to find uh, a company versus okay, get the knowledge and then jump out there and get your own authority and, and go from there. But I don't want to just jump because I know that's a big responsibility until I'm prepared. One thing that, one thing that I would strongly suggest, uh, you know, um, before you decide that you want to make the jump or whatever to get your own authority, really, like Joe, like we've been talking about right now, really start doing some prospecting on whatever type of equipment that you own that you have and, and start looking for customers in, that, in the area that you're in. 
you know, maybe, uh, you know, start a conversation to see, you know, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about um, um, you could maybe do like a, a do a letter. You could, you know, possibly do a letter or an email blast or something like that to kind of like, you know, seeking information uh, with, you know, what type of service with, with, you know, whatever type of equipment that you have, you know, what, mm-hmm. you know, you're just seeking information, what lanes are you having problems with or whatever, and, and you know, kind of, you know, go on a little bit of a fishing expedition. But but start to identify before you get out there to see, you know, to gauge the market. Uh, you right. can, of course, it, you, you can always use the spot market as far as brokering and stuff like that. But, you know, um, it really, uh, from what I said, from what I heard you saying on the call, that you, you really would like to have more control. And actually, to be able yeah. to have a lot more control, um, you know, you need, to, you need to have that direct customer base. Uh oh, okay. the music's playing. Um, St. Okay. Kevin's getting ready to jump on. So, Freddie, uh, we'll, we'll probably have to finish this up on another one. Uh, thank you guys anyway, for calling I can get in. Some information from anybody? Uh, sure. Shoot me. Look for me on, on Facebook. Uh, Rico Muhammad on Facebook. Just shoot me a okay. friend request, and we can t- we can talk more then. Okay, appreciate it, Rico. Yeah, have a good evening. Thank you. You too. Uh, I heard the music. Where's Kevin? Oh, okay. I got it now. Well, guys, we're gonna, I'm going to hang up, and I'm going to let Kevin jump in, and I'll probably call back in and listen in myself. So thank you guys for calling in on the Racing Lane uh, podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And we're going to move, move out of the way. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us tonight. Rico, great job as always, and uh, we're doing something a little different, and this is going to be an ongoing thing. Our Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night shows that we normally do um, at midnight Eastern time on Sirius XM, we are going to start recording those shows earlier in the day. Uh, and we're, we're going to get on a regular schedule, and it's probably going to be much earlier in the day, um, probably looking at um, 1 or 2 o'clock Eastern time in the afternoon, um, and that will be tomorrow and Friday of this week. Today, we just had a lot going on, so we weren't able to uh, record. As a matter of fact, um, since we're talking about rates and lanes, uh, Lisa and I spent the day over at uh, Dat Solutions in Beaverton, and not a whole lot I can tell you right now. Um, they actually made us sign a non-disclosure, but we're working on some pretty exciting projects uh, with Cat. Uh, some pretty big stuff going out over the next couple of years, actually. So uh, it was good, but uh, we're going to do our recording. We're, right now we're going to record an hour, and that is for the live show tonight. Not really live anymore. It'll be recorded. So... Uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. If you've got a question, a comment, um, anything at all, press 1 on your phone right now. Um, If you've already pressed 1 and you were in the queue before, you can press 1 again and it will take you out. So if you had a question earlier, they didn't get to you, uh, you could go ahead and press 1 on your phone and that will drop you out of the queue. You'll still be on the call. It just won't look like you have a question. Or 
if you want to stay in there, we'll get to you in order. So right now it looks like we've got uh, uh, looks like we've got quite a few questions. So we're just going to go ahead and get started. Here we go. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The number to join us, 8888-ROAD-DOG. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. If you've got questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your own authority, whatever it is, give me a call. We'll talk about it here on the air. We're going to get to those calls in just a little bit. A couple weeks ago, uh, I brought up the topic of truck parking and the, the so-called shortage of truck parking and how dangerous it is. And we see these stories of people dying and getting shot and because they couldn't find parking. And I, I don't want to sound callous about this. And, it, and it's hard to argue when, you know, somebody's loved one was killed. I mean, that's not the person to take a stand with. But it also is not a reason to do the wrong thing. And I think the wrong thing when it comes to parking is getting the government any more involved in it or spending any more government money because the government doesn't have any money. I think we can find solutions within the industry, within the free market. So for the most part, I had stayed out of the whole parking issue, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to jump in. We did a show almost a whole weekend. I I was shocked. Uh, One whole show... 99% 99% of the calls were, it was about the parking issue. The interesting thing was, of those calls, about 99% of those calls said, yeah, it can be difficult once in a while, but it's not that big of a problem, and people found ways to solve it, which is what I figured. Uh, but there's a very vocal group in the industry that is lobbying, and you know there are laws being um, submitted for more government money to be spent on parking and rest areas. Um, so I just think that that's wrong. So I, I'm not going to stay out of it anymore. I think it's time that, you know, I, I want my voice to be heard about the parking. I think we can solve it without spending more government money. So there was a discussion going on on Facebook that I didn't start. Somebody else started it about parking. Uh, but my name kept getting tagged in it, so I kept seeing. So I finally went to the discussion and I read it. Now, here's the interesting thing, and this happens a lot. Um, I do a show. We take calls, and we don't screen calls to find people who agree with me. In fact, we do the opposite. We screen calls trying to find people who disagree with me because that makes more interesting radio. Um, and yet. After doing a show on parking for two days straight, I had almost nobody who disagreed with me. Almost everybody who called said, yeah, you know, it can be a problem sometimes. We figured it out. And and lots of really creative solutions. Yet I go to this discussion, and it's almost the opposite. 
it's about 90% of the people in this discussion who think there is a huge problem and people are dying in the streets and the government needs to step in and fix it. And the, the original post was from a woman who said her boyfriend um, tries to park at the Loves in Troutdale, which I'm very familiar with. It's right down the street from me. Um, and he can't ever find a place to park. And he, real, he noticed that there were four or five trucks always parked in the same spaces. And he found out they were just local trucks, and the drivers would come in. Sometimes he'd see them get their stuff, do some work on the truck, and leave and go home. The truck would be parked there. And his girlfriend, the woman who started the post, thought that was wrong, and she wrote a letter to Love saying that they, these local trucks should not be allowed to park there for multiple days because over-the-road trucks don't have any space. And I, I, I think that's wrong. I, if, if that local truck has the exact same right to a space that anybody else does. If the truck stop doesn't want trucks parking for multiple days, then they can implement a policy. And I guess there's nothing wrong with writing a letter asking them to, but it's a private business. I, it, you, why would you criticize them for the way they choose to run their business? If you don't like their decision, don't patronize, don't spend any money with them, go find someplace else. But the other thing about this is, it's very possible because I've had situations where I contracted with truck stops to, to park for multiple days because there was no place else to park my equipment. I didn't have a yard when I was running on my own. I didn't have a yard. I had a truck and a trailer and no place to park it. And I paid a truck stop to park it extended periods of time. What's wrong with that? That may have been the case here. Or maybe Loves just says, hey, they're trucks. They buy fuel from us. Now, here's the thing. The, the people complaining kept mentioning, well, we buy fuel, we buy food, and, and we can't find a place to park. Well, I can guarantee you, if that's what you think gives you the right to park, how much money you spend at that place, which that's fine, I can pretty much assure you that if your truck is over the road and these trucks are local, well, guess who spends more money at that loves truck stop? the local trucks do. They might fuel up there every day. They might eat there every day. The over-the-road truck might get there once. He may never be back again. But none of that really matters. The issue here is truck stops are private businesses, and they can choose how to run their parking any way they want. You then have the right to say, I don't like the way you do things elsewhere. Uh, I, I, it just amazes me that, that drivers get so indignant, like, that's my spot. You don't have any right to that spot. Where does that come from? Where does that entitlement mentality come from? You don't have a right to a parking spot anywhere. Somebody has to provide those parking spots, and it costs money. So that that's just my rant. I don't want to get too far off on the parking thing and do another whole show about it, but... I think there really is a divide in the industry, um, and I'd like to make sure that the people who don't want government money spent on this problem get their voice heard as well. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the phones. Let's start off in Virginia. Daniel, welcome to the program. 
Good evening, Mr. Rutherford. I was looking at buying a trailer for, for personal use, and well, it just so happens it could be used for hot shot, which, considering my company driver and well, hot shot, it, my way of thinking seems to be a bit more, they, I, I don't know, it just seems to be the less hassle side of, of the big truck. And I, what got me thinking, well, that $4 million insurance minimum that they're trying to rush through, I'm wondering just how much of an impact that might, would have on that market. Um, well, it's going to have a, an impact not just on hot shots, but on any small carrier because the, the ratio of expense to revenue will be way out of proportion for a small carrier. For a big carrier with lots of trucks that have $4 million, no big deal. It's, it's, they won't even notice it. But when you have to increase the cost of that policy, percentage-wise, any small carrier, I don't care whether you're a hotshot or not, if you've got one truck, percentage-wise, that insurance is going to put a hurting on small carriers. And that's why I am so against this. Um, this is nothing, in my opinion, this is nothing but another way for big carriers to lobby uh, for regulations that push small carriers out of the business. I think, again, leave this up to the free market. You know, if, if shippers don't want to use a carrier that has lower insurance, that's up to them. But, you know, to raise it from, what is it, 750000 now to $4 yeah. million or whatever number, that's insane. Now, if we need an increase, okay, let's increase it. But to double or triple it or more, that's crazy. Um, now, when you're talking about possibly doing a hot shot, at, and would you be going to do it full-time? You said you're a company driver. Actually, it would be one of those where I would leave the company I'm at and then do hot shot full-time. And okay. it kind Got of has a follow-up question to where do you think that would increase rates? the people would have to increase the rates in order to compensate for that increased cost. No, oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, well, yes and no. Let me, let me restate that. It will increase cost, but it's going to be slow. It will increase rates. not going to be a big change. And the reason is, um, is that the big carriers, this isn't a big enough expense that they have to change anything. I mean, they don't have to raise their rates to cover this. It's not that big of a deal for them. So there will still be carriers out there that can say, we're not raising our rates, we're okay with this. Now, the small and maybe even mid-sized carriers, which move a lot of the freight, they will probably have to increase their rates, but some may not. Some may try to use this as a competitive advantage and not raise their rates. It will really depend on when they push this through, what condition is the market in, supply and demand, which side is it on? Stick around. We'll be right back. Here on the Road Dog, Sirius XM 146. I'm Kevin Rothsworth. Thank you. 
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rothford. The number to join us, 8888-ROAD-DOG. The website is letstruck.com. We're going to get right back to some phone calls. Let's head off to North Carolina. Freddie, welcome to the program. How are you doing, sir? Good. What can I help you with? Um, I had an oil sample, and I was wanting to know about um, uh, my business. Well, I, I need to get myself together, and I, I, I want to get more control of my business. My truck is paid for, but I, I'm getting to the point where I know it's probably going to need some work, but I need to put myself in a better position uh, job-wise as well. I just wonder what feedback you can give me. Okay, well, let's get the oil sample out of the way because that's easy, and then we can get to the more important stuff. Um, there are a couple problems with the oil sample. There was a lot of information missing off the form, and that makes it a little harder uh, to figure okay. things out, but let's give it a shot. So um, there was no – it doesn't say the type of oil or the weight. What kind of oil and what viscosity are you using? Um, I've been using the Rotella Synthetic. Okay. I've been using a blend because I had a, I had a, uh, yes sir, I had a, uh, I had a leak on the rear main seal, so I've been using the blend. Um, okay. And um, just this past three weeks, I monitored that I wasn't using a whole lot of oil, so um, it still maintained its level after three thousand miles. Um, Got it. So okay. So, so the other thing that was, the other thing that was missing, how many miles are on the truck? 1.08. And how many on this oil? How long has this oil been in the engine? Um, I want to say it's right around 100,000. Okay. All right. So that helps a lot. Um, have you changed the oil since this sample? No, sir. Okay. I would change it. Um, this oil is getting a little old. Now, the other thing I noticed... Um, the soot is outrageously high, but um, there's, like you said, there's almost 100,000 miles on the soil, and I don't have that history. I, I'm only seeing the two really current samples, and that oil's been in the engine almost a year. So mm -hmm. it's very possible that the soot has jumped up over time, and I can't see that because I can't see the history. So what you need yeah. to do is, is change, do an oil change. And okay. then on the next sample, we'll be able to tell much more. Like right now, I mean, I want to say there's something wrong with the truck causing all this soot. But I, I really can't without having that history. So I, I would say I did say have a pin hole in my oil. exhaust. I don't know how much that would affect it. I did have an, a, a hole in my exhaust from some rust that got up under my and ate through my yeah. exhaust. I got that fixed. That shouldn't affect it too much. Okay. Um, so, like I say, let, let's go with the uh, oil change. The next okay. sample will tell us much more. Um, if there is a lot of soot on that first sample. Uh, sample at 10,000? Uh, I would wait till uh, 15 to do the sample. Okay. Okay. All right. So, uh, now back to the business. Um, give okay. me a, what, what is your specific question about the business? Well, um, I'm at a crossroads. I, I've been leased to some companies. Um, uh, I just recently left the company in Indianapolis that I was leased to, um, but I'm, uh, just at a crossroads where 
I, I kind of see some things to where I feel like I should get more of the money, but that's not happening. And um, I've been playing around with some things as far as uh, uh, the load boards and, and able to search for some loads. Uh, but it's just making that decision to go ahead and do it because of uh, what I've learned thus far, but I, I'm still not always comfortable with it. Um, yeah, and, and that's a, that's something to pay attention to because what I've found is that, and this is a big decision. I mean, this isn't something you take lightly. It's yeah. not something you just wake up one day and go, oh, I think I'll do this. It's one of those things yeah. that requires some planning, some thought. Um, and, and what I find with people is, is when they still are having a really hard time pulling the trigger, you know, and they're, they're apprehensive and they're not sure, what that usually tells me is that they're just not prepared enough. Um, right. And that's a good that's a good thing that you're paying attention to that voice in the back of your head saying uh, maybe we're not ready. I, you know, should I? Right. Shouldn't I? Usually, all that means is is you just haven't done enough homework. Um, okay. You just need to get more information so you're more comfortable. Um, get some okay. numbers. Talk to other people that have made that change. Um, were you on the call prior to this on the rates and lanes? Yeah, I got in late. Um, but yes, I, I'm uh, yeah, trying to reach out to Rico or, and and get some more feedback. Absolutely, you know, join if you're not a part of the group on Facebook. Rate per mile masters, join that. Get to know those people. Talk to them. You know, follow the podcast. I mean that that the podcast and the group are focused on on that one topic alone. Uh, whereas on you know the regular show, we talk about all kinds of things. Uh, and that's why we do that, so that when there's a specific area, you can dive deeper into it, get more information. So that's what I would recommend is keep working on this plan. I think it's a good one. I just don't think you have enough information to feel comfortable yet. Right, and I'm going to get the book. I want to get the book as well. I want to get your book as well. Uh, um, You know, I don't want to talk you out of getting my book, but my book isn't going to help you much in the transition you're trying to make. My book is really designed for that guy who doesn't even own a truck yet, and he's buying his Uh, first truck, leasing to a carrier, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, there's some good stuff in there that might help you, but it's not specific to what you're trying to do right now. And like I say, I think the the group and the podcast is is going to be a a much bigger help for you. Um, And then they'll have other resources, you know, read the newsletters, um, uh, the trend lines from uh, DAT Solutions, more information, and then you'll feel more comfortable and you'll know when you're ready. Let's go to uh, Pennsylvania. Charles, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, good evening. I uh, can help you with tonight. Yes. I uh, was telling Lisa, I uh, I bought a pair of shocks, Road King shocks, about now about a year ago. I mailed the uh, shocks out about about a month and a half ago to get repaired. One of the shocks, the seal, began to leak. And um, after about, I guess, 30 days, they finally got back with me after going back and forth and told me that there were scratches on the shaft of the shock which caused the seal to fail. Therefore, that voids the warranty. But if I pay for the rebuild, 
they will sell me an upgrade at a discounted price, which is a shaft protective, which keeps the shaft from getting stretched. And it will never happen again. My question to you is, they found a defect or they found a, a problem with the seal failing because it's being stretched. Now, you're talking about a shaft that's exposed to dirt, rocks, and everything on the road. It could have been a stretch on a shaft. I didn't see one when I took it off. But does that seem right to you? No, it doesn't. And I, I, I've had this discussion with them. And it, this is the one area with one of our ISPs that I'm not satisfied with right now. Um, I love the product. I'm not wild about their warranty policy and some of their customer service. Uh, and we're, we're working behind the scenes to try to make that better. Um, one of the things is there is no competing product, none. There is not another premium shock on the market, anything like this product. Um, and that kind of puts me in a bind. I love the product. And I think, like I say, there's nothing else like it. But I'm big on customer service, and I'm not happy with theirs. And I've told them that, and I've said it on the air in the past. Um, if there were another product that were just as good or close, we might move. Uh, but there isn't. So that's not even an option. So we're trying to work with them, um, and, and we're doing the best we can. Now, here's the thing. I, I, I'm with you. That was an exposed shaft, and the most common reason for a failure of the seal is the shaft gets damaged. Now, what happens many times is the shaft gets damaged on install from shops that don't really understand how to put these things on, and they have so much compression that they, they are difficult to put on. I've installed them, and you have, you've got to be careful, and you've got to pay attention. And they get, they get the shaft damaged all the time during the install, and their stance is, we don't feel like we should have to cover that. But like you're saying, this could happen later from road debris or something like that. And that's kind of a design issue. And they know it. So they've designed the new protector, which is fantastic. Um, it's going to solve the problem. But where does that leave you? I, I, I'm with you. I don't think um, that is right. I wish I had a better answer for you right now. The best I can tell you is that we are working with them behind the scenes to try to get a better solution to this. Because I'm with you. I'm not happy with the way that was handled for you. I'm not always happy with the way it's been handled with other people. So we'll keep working on it. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're on the road dog. Sirius XM 146. I'm Kevin Rothberg. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. 
We're going to get right back to some phone calls. Let's go to Missouri. Karen, welcome to the program. Good evening, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. What's on your mind? I just want well, I wanted to let you know about our update on our truck that we've been dealing okay. with. Um, it went down and had injectors. It's had actuators. It's had injector cups, the O-rings, okay, and all this stuff. And the overhead re-ran again, okay, came out of the shop. It ran one day. and got a hiccup is the best way to describe this. You'd be going right. for about 10 or 15 miles, and once it got warmed up, then it would start to hiccup. Okay. Um, no code stone. Brought it back. Field mileage started out at up in the sixes, and by the end of last week, it was down to 5.1. That's not good. Okay. So they um, hooked up the computer to it, and they test drove it, and it still hiccuped, and so they replaced all the fuel lines. They checked the fuel pump. They checked that gasket on the fuel pump. Um, they changed the boost sensor. Then they, that didn't all fix it. So then they threw a camshaft and a crankshaft sensor. Okay. Okay. Well, it doesn't have the hiccup anymore. And came out of the shop and went on its first run today. And fuel mileage was at 5.3. All right. What year is this truck? 2008. Okay. Um, how many different shops have worked on this truck for, for these issues? For I mean, these issues? Yeah. Um, two. Is this an ISX? No, ACERT. It's an ACERT. Okay. What kind of shops? Is this a, a truck dealer? Yes, it's a, the main one's been the Kenworth dealer in Salina, Kansas. That, in my opinion, that's your well. That's your second biggest problem. Your first biggest problem is the truck is an 08. I mean, right? It just is what it is. So your second biggest problem, though, is you're taking the engine work to a truck dealer. You know, the the guy who's working on your engine right now or whenever it was in. The day uh-huh. before, he might have spent all day troubleshooting an electrical problem in the bunk. The day before that, he did six air conditioning recharges. The day before that, he did a couple alignments. Um, the day before that, he was doing oil changes. Um, the, the guys and, in and dealerships don't work on engines all day long. In fact, they're not very right. good at working on engines. They're just not. Right. They, and it's right. not... Some of it's their fault, but a lot of it is they just do so many things, whereas an engine shop, um, that's all they work on. They won't do other stuff. They won't fix wheels. They won't fix air conditioning. They, they're very, at the Detroit shops especially, they work on engines. That makes and, them and good I would agree with on you engines. on all that stuff, but all this data that was taken on these ride-alongs, 
was sent to Caterpillar. Doesn't matter. They, that that's okay. not the same. That would be like okay. saying, "Hey, you know, I know you need a, a root canal, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I could do it if I had a dentist on the phone telling me what to do. And I'll even send him the X-rays so we can look at them. And if he tells me what to do, I think I could do this. I, I think I could pull off the root canal. Are you going to let me do it? No. But, yes, Tell because no. it was you, Kevin, yes, I would let you do it. Because <laughs> I trust you. <laughs> well, then, you, if you can find a Kenworth dealer that you trust that much, then let them work on your engine. But I get the feeling you don't trust this dealer that much, and you shouldn't, because they no, haven't done I a don't. very good job. But but that's the norm, and that's why I talk about it all the okay. time. I, I see, and I'm not saying that if you pull into a cat dealer, they're going to solve your problem in an hour, and you're going to be out of there. You're not. Because, again, your biggest problem isn't the dealer. It's your second biggest problem. The truck itself, the engine technology is your biggest problem. And, right. But that's why we, we have to stack the deck in our favor. We have so many things working against us. The engine technology is horrible. Nobody's figured out how to fix it. Um, we have a lot of things working against us. So we have to work really hard to stack the deck in our favor. And one of the ways we do that is we don't go to a truck dealer unless we know them and we know they've got this great engine guy and and that kind of thing. But that's not the case here. Um, So we don't work with truck dealers. Um, We try as hard as possible to find a good engine shop, build a relationship with them, and go there as often as we can Now, I know that something's going to happen when you're out on the road and you can't get back to that shop, but even then, let me tell you the advantage, and and I did this for years. I used two shops, Uh, a a general shop that did all of my general maintenance, and they were not a truck dealer. They were an independent, and an Uh engine shop that was a factory Detroit shop. 99% of my work got done at those two shops. If the truck was out on the road and broke down, the first thing I did, if I even questioned what the shop was saying was wrong or what the driver was saying was wrong, was we got one of my two shops on the phone with us. Okay. And they were willing to do that because of the relationship I built over the years. And then when you get a, a really good shop on the phone with you and say, hey, this is my shop at home, you're saying this, but they're saying this. That carries far more weight than me standing there saying, I think you're wrong. You shouldn't be doing it this way. So, okay. And I know none of this stuff happens overnight, and I know it's not going to solve the problem you're dealing with right now, uh, but this is more of my regular remind everybody. Um, You've got to do a lot to, when it comes to maintenance to stack the deck in your favor. One more um, as quick question. This, yeah, go ahead. All right. Our boss paid $35,000 for this truck, okay? okay? In the first six months of this year, he has spent 30000 just in maintenance. I'm not surprised. Okay. I, I mean, I feel so far behind the eight ball, I, I, I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, I, we were working towards the goal of getting our own truck eventually one day. Do I even want to attempt to do it now? I'm scared to death now. 
Well, I don't blame you, but what, what do you hear me repeating day after day after day, night after night after night, and I post about it, and I talk about it, and I write articles about it, and, you know, I've got Bruce Mallinson of Pittsburgh Power writing articles about it, and everybody I can find. I, exactly. We, we, the only way to ensure that you are not going to suffer this exact same problem is to stay away from the emission trucks. Buy an older truck, build a glider, buy a used glider, whatever we have to do to stay away from those emissions. And then I, I, I will get 10 emails tonight, and they will all say, Kevin, you're just way off base. You're making too big of a deal about this. I've got an 08. Mine's been just fine. That's fantastic. But people like you are telling true stories. And it is disrupting the industry tremendously. And, and if I were you, I would be hesitant to go buy a truck as well. But I can tell you that the, the problems you deal with with this truck, these problems did not and still do not exist on pre-emission trucks or gliders. They just don't. Okay. I wish I had a, you know, I wish I had an answer to help people solve their problem right now when it's happening, but I don't. So the best I can do is is try to educate everybody on how to avoid this situation because what you're in it, I can't help you, and it's it's very frustrating for me. I know it's frustrating for you. Let's go to. Uh, South Carolina. Jason, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Jason. I just looked at the clock, so hold on, because I'm going to get to a break, and then we're going to come back and we're going to jump on your call. So um, I should have been paying attention to the clock, but I was all wound up ranting about old new trucks. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're on the Road Dog Sirius XM 146. Kevin We're down to the final segment. I'm going to get right back to the calls. Let's go uh, back to South Carolina. Jason, go ahead. Good evening, Kevin. Um, I'm looking at possibly replacing my truck. I have an 07 with 1.1 million miles on it. My 30-day fuel average is 6.38. I'm in a regional operation running 80,000 pounds up into the mountains of Pennsylvania and then uh, 
back down into the, to Virginia and North Carolina, I'm worried that my 07, if I rebuild it, and Pittsburgh Power would do the rebuild, but if I rebuild it, I'm going to have a phone call like the one you just had where I'm just going to start having all kinds of sensor problems, and and I'm not going to get fuel mileage, and I'm not getting fuel mileage now, but uh, I'm worried that I'm going to get down into the fives and fours. Should I be looking for an older pre-emission truck? Just for the fun of it, uh, just to do something a little different since we just had that call, I'm going to let you be the host this time. What do you think my answer is going to be? I think you're going to tell me to get the pre-emission truck. No question. No question. Hand down, I, I, I will promise you, that I don't recommend anybody buy anything with emissions on it. I, I just can't. I mean, even when I'm forced to with the people who have to run to California, my answer is stop going to California. I mean, because I, 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 I don't want to be the one to tell somebody, oh, yeah, go buy an 08 and 09, you'll be just fine. The odds are not in my favor if I say that. The odds are that somebody's going to be really pissed off because they're going to end up with one of these a $35,000 truck that in six months you had to spend $30,000 on maintenance, and that's not to upgrade. That's just to keep it on the road. Now, I have no problem with buying a $30,000 truck and spending 35000 to upgrade it because I'll get my money back. This thirty grand has just been blown. I mean, it, it's just to keep the truck on the road. That's insane. And I get five emails like this every day. And I'm terrified of it. I'm, I've had this truck for 700,000 miles, knock on wood. I've only put uh, one injector in it 700,000 miles ago, right after I bought it. Yeah, so here's my thought. You know, I, I look at the odds. Um, the odds of getting an emission truck that has problems are pretty high. But uh, you can also get one that doesn't have problems. You, you've done it. Lots of people have. Uh, but if we look at the odds... What are the odds that you're going to get two that don't have problems? Yeah. I, I completely I, I understand that. Yeah, I wouldn't take the chance. I, I would take whatever budget you were going to spend on a new truck and figure out how to buy something without emissions. And, and, and really, the three options are buy an older truck and put some money into it, build a glider if you have the budget, or search for used gliders. Now, the good news is, two years ago, finding a used glider was almost unheard of. But because gliders are becoming so much more popular and more and more companies and people are building them, we're finally starting to see some on the used market. There's not a ton of them, but they're out there, and you can find them. And I find them on the truck paper just about every week now. Yeah, unfortunately, a used glider is a little bit out of my budget. I'm probably looking at uh, um, $8,000, $10,000 truck and, and just going through it and keeping this truck as a, oh, yeah. as a backup. Yeah, then you really want to look at um, late 90s. I mean, you want to be looking at, you know, 98, 99, maybe up to 2001. I mean, you, that's that's the, the area you want to be looking. But by all means... Um, you'll be far better off doing that. Let's go to Texas. Mike, welcome to the program. 
Hey, Kevin, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind tonight? The signature truck that you guys just got done building, they put a generator on instead of an APU, right? Correct. Did you happen to know what kind of generator that was? I saw it at uh, CMC. It is the perfect size for my truck because I can't put on one of those big owning diesels. That thing okay. is almost the exact same size as a tri-pack. would work perfect. Yeah, I am scrolling through the Track That Truck website right now because I just drew a total blank on um, the name of that company, but I know that we've got it posted in here. Um, find it. I'll get to it here in a second, I think. I've seen it in here before. Uh, wow. I didn't realize our... Oh, it's, a, it's a, from Star Class. Star Class? Star Class, yeah. Yeah, their uh, model. I don't know if Star Class makes more than one model, but the one you saw on their truck is called their Gen Star 4500. All righty. Well, that thing is almost it, the exact same size as a tri-pack. Pretty close, you know, yeah. Yeah, so it fits right in there. And that's perfect. That's what I need, so... Well, there you go. And if for some reason... Oh, hold on. I didn't know you had another question. Go ahead. Oh, um, another question, too, is I've got um, I've got to do about $3,500 worth of repair work at my front end. Um, I'm going to go with the stainless steel, kingpins, and new drag link, new tie, tie rods, everything. I'm going to have everything done over there in uh, Kansas City, and then I'm going to have Chad align it. My question okay. is, do you know how much it would cost? Right now I run a 12,000-pound axle. I'm thinking about upgrading to the 13.2. And it would allow me to slide my fifth wheel a little closer, close up that trailer gap. While I've already got everything disassembled, seems like it would be the time to do it. Yeah, and, you know, I don't know the cost. One of the things I don't try to keep up is on cost. Um, you know, are you on Facebook? Yeah. Do you know, have you ever seen any of the posts from Jackie? Jackie Wormley, she's got the FLD, she calls the show once in a while. Yeah, um, I know that she just did a an axle on hers, but she went with the same stock axle. It wasn't an upgrade, it was just a replacement. Yeah, that, that, from that was going to... to a 12,000. Right, and that's the only one I know recently who's done any axles. Other than that, you just call around for parts. Uh, I, I, the, one of the things I don't try to keep in my head, it, on purpose I don't, is pricing on stuff. Uh, a lot of people are surprised that I don't know, you know, how much Pittsburgh Power charges for their power box. I mean, I, I, I know it, I just don't memorize that kind of stuff. It, it's just... It changes all the time, and it's too many numbers that just aren't important, you know, for me, because when it's time, you're just going to have to call and figure out what it is. Um, so let's go to Illinois. Five, three, Ron, zero, the program. Zero, four, one. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing? I Good. have a, a question. I was wondering, when you talked with the CMC about negotiating your uh, negotiating your contract, I was wondering, what's the question, yeah. how do you go about that, and what do you do? 
Sorry. Sorry. Now, are, are you talking about the contract with a carrier? Yeah, I'm leased on to a carrier. Uh, how big of a company? Uh, it's a big company. Like um, more than a thousand trucks? Yes. Okay. Um, and the reason well, I, I asked shouldn't really that, say that. I shouldn't really say that. They're an LTL company, but they I do the niche market. I do intermodal for them, so that's a smaller part of that company. Oh, and that makes a difference um, because a lot of times those divisions are run separately and there are other people making the decisions. And the reason that I ask that is I'm not going to say it's impossible, but if you were to go to a very large carrier with thousands of owner-operators, they are less likely to renegotiate and, and give you a different contract than they're giving everybody else. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen. It can. It's less likely to happen. The smaller the carrier, though, or the smaller the division even, the more likely it is that, that we might have a shot at negotiating, especially in a market like we're in right now where carriers are just screaming for trucks and, and you know turnovers back at an all-time high again. Um, so it's a, it's a good environment to negotiate. What you need to do is, do you have somebody in the company who is kind of in charge of contractor relations? Not really. I have a good uh, um, um, relationship with the VP of our division. That's who I'd start with then. Because the, the, the fact that you have a relationship is even more important than what somebody's title might be. Um, so anytime you've got a relationship with somebody in management, that would always be the first place I would go. Now, I would get very, very clear on what you want and what you'd be willing to settle for, which could be two different things, and I would have it all in writing, and I would have lots of notes, and I would almost practice before I went in for that meeting. I, I wish I had more time. It's a great question, but I've got to get out of here and make room for Joan Team the all-night truck stop. Stick around. You're on the road, dog. Serious XM 146. Be safe. Be profitable. Do the hard work and master the journey. Good night, everyone. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.